could gather, uh, that we could get into your word. Father, we just pray now that your spirit would be here, would be among us. Um, Lord, as we look into Romans and see all that it has for us, uh, we just thank you for this. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. You can have a seat. Sorry about that. Typically, I would not uh, bring my phone up here with me. However, there is something that I'm going to read from here, so I apologize for that. Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Matt Beachy. For those of you who do not know, um, I'm a pastoral intern with Mercy Hill, um, and I have been uh, doing this for a couple of years now, and so being able to come out here and bring the word to you is truly a privilege and an honor this morning. So what we'll do today, if you're not aware, what we're going to be reading from is Romans 2, uh, starting in verse 17, uh, and we're going to go to the end of the chapter. So why don't we just read this, and then we'll jump right into it. Starting again in verse 17, it says this, uh, but if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law. And if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having the law, the embodiment of knowledge and truth, then you who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that uh, one must not commit adultery, do you also commit adultery? You who arbor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. For circumcision, indeed, is of value if you obey the law. Uh, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law... Will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have, who have written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But the Jew is one inwardly, and the circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Let's pray. Lord, your word is true. Father, your word is inspired. Help us today um, to understand your word uh, more. Father, we pray that your spirit would draw us um, to you this morning as we begin uh, to sort of look at what Romans uh, and Paul is talking about here. And so we just pray these things in your name. Amen. All right. So, uh, by way of sort of setup this morning, I do want to ask if anybody here, so when I was in junior high, way back in the day, we used to have to read this poem called Casey at the Bat. Does anybody here know that? It's kind of a, it's a longer short story, long poem. We're going to read that this morning, so hang in with me. I do want, there's purpose to it, but uh, for those of you who've never heard this, Welcome to one of the greatest pieces of literature ever written. Those of you who do, who have heard this before, 
just get to enjoy it again. So, uh, the outlook was brilliant. wasn't brilliant for the Mudville nine that day. The score stood four to two, with one inning more to play. But when Cooney died at first and Barrows did the same, a sickly silence fell upon the patrons of the game. A straggling few got up to go in deep despair. The rest clung to that hope which springs eternal in the human breast. They thought, if only Casey could get but one whack at that. We'd put even money on it now with Casey at the bat. But Flynn preceded Casey, uh, as did Jimmy Blake. And the former was a Lulu and the latter was a cake. So upon the stricken multitude grim melancholy sat. For there seemed but little chance of Casey getting to the bat. But Flynn led, uh, let drive a single to the wonderment of all. And Blake, the much despised, tore the cover off the ball. And when the dust had lifted, the men saw what had occurred. There was Jimmy safe on second and Flynn hunging to third. Then from 5,000 throats and more than rose the lusty yell. It rumbled through the valley, it rattled through the dell. It knocked upon the mountain and recoiled upon the flat for Casey, mighty Casey, was advancing to the bat. There was ease in Casey's manner as he stepped to the plate. There was a pride in Casey's bearing and a smile on Casey's face. And when, responding to the cheers, he lightly doffed his hat, no stranger in the crowd could doubt was Casey at the bat. Ten thousand eyes were on him, and he's rubbed his hands in dirt. Five thousand tongues applauded when he wiped them on his shirt. And while the writhing pitcher on the ground, uh, the ball into his hip, uh, defiance gleamed in Casey's eyes, and a sneer curled Casey's lips. Lip. And now the leather-covered sphere came hurtling through the air, and Casey stood a-watching in a haughty grandeur there. Close, uh, close by the sturdy batsman, the ball up upheated sped that ain't my style said Casey strike one the umpire said from the benches uh, black with people there went a muffled roar while the beating of a uh, storm waves on the stream a distant shore kill him kill the umpire shouted someone in the stands and it was likely they had killed him had not Casey raised his hands with a smile of Christian charity great Casey's visage shone he stood there uh, He's still in the rising tumult. Uh, he bade the game go on. He signaled to the pitcher, and once more the spheroid flew. In case he still ignored it, and the umpire said, strike two. Fraud, cried the maddened thousands, and echoes answered fraud. But one scornful look from Casey, and the audience was awed. They saw his face grow stern and cold. They saw his muscles strain. And they knew that Casey wouldn't let that ball go by again. The sneer is gone from Casey's lips. His teeth were clenched to hate. He pounds with cruel violence his bat upon the plate. And now the pitcher holds the ball, and now he lets it go. And now in the air shattered the force of Casey's blow. Oh, somewhere in this favored land, the sun is shining bright. The band is playing somewhere, and somewhere hearts are light. And somewhere men are laughing, and somewhere children shout. But there is no joy in Mudville, mighty Casey has struck out. Again, quite possibly one of the greatest pieces of literature of our time. Uh, so the question is, Matt, why are you reading us uh, poems from the 1800s? Well, 
One of the things in setup here uh, that I want to, there's a parallel to relate here between Casey at the bat and this section of Romans that we're going to talk about is the sense of false assurance. So up until this point in Romans, uh, the last three weeks, I guess, so Brad talked about last week and then at the end, middle of Romans 1 to the end of Romans 1 and then Paul has indicted many people here in Rome, in the church of Rome. Um, first, he has indicted the non-believer, the people who deny this existence or need of God. And you see that at the end of chapter 1, um, or middle of chapter 1 to the end of the chapter. Last week, Brother Fikowski talked about sort of the, the people who are moral, the people who believe that they're good, that they still have no need for God. And so Paul has indicted these two sort of groups of people, and now he's going to address the third group of people. And if you can imagine, uh, up to this point, the, the Jewish congregation members, so if you imagine this letter's written to this entire church, and it's being read to this church, and you probably have the Jewish members just like cheering Paul on, like, yeah, those Gentiles, they're all wrong, like, get them. And then right now we're about to reach this this turning point where Paul is going to indict not just the non-believer, not just the moral person, but now Paul is about to indict the Jew of this time as to why it is they are going to need the gospel. So if we go back um, into chapter 1 for just one second, I just, we have to remember in, just briefly the thesis of the entire epistle is in chapters 1 verses 16 and 17. And it says this, that I am, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This is the entire purpose of uh, Romans. And so Paul has now indicted, before he can go into, and he will in the middle, not next week, but the following He's going to go into the nuance of the gospel, and Paul will do that. But before he can do that, he needs everybody to understand that they need the gospel. right? So he's made it clear to the non-believer. He's made it clear to the person who believes that they're good. And now he's going to make it clear to the, excuse me, sort of the special group, the Jewish people, the orators, the people who have the lineage of, uh, of Christ, essentially, who have the law, they must also be indicted. Everybody needs to be made clear that there is no way that they can be righteous in and of themselves. And so Paul is about to do this. This is what he's going to do today. Uh, and we're going to look at that. Um, so one of the things then that he is going to do and the way that he's going to do this is he's going to address three, there are three main um, Things about this group of people that he is going to address. He is going to address, or the things, the privileges, let's call them privileges. Uh, the things that gave us, gave this group of people false assurance were the privileges that came with being Jewish. First, it's their heritage. Second, it is their um, knowledge, excuse me. And then third, it's their traditions. So Paul has addressed all of these. We're going to look at those and how he addresses those today. But again, um, before he gets into 
the nuance of the gospel. Everybody, everybody in his church must be made aware of their need of the gospel and their inability to be made righteous on their own. And so, a couple things just to think about, a couple questions I would have for you this morning as we get into it. Um, again, first is, um, are there things this morning? I guess this is something for you individually to answer. I don't know where you're all at. But are there things that you are doing um, or things or groups maybe that you're a part of that you believe are what make you righteous? Oftentimes, uh, maybe something like, well, I grew up in a Christian home. I hear, we hear that a lot. People say I grew up in a Christian home and we just... Is that what's going to make you righteous this morning? Is that what you think is going to? Maybe, and uh, I don't know, we read, pe- some people read lots of books. Maybe it's the right theology. Maybe people believe that I have the knowledge of the correct theology and that is what is going to give me the assurance of my salvation. Maybe you follow all the right rules, you do the right things, you never miss your morning or afternoon or evening devotions. I don't know whenever you do them. These things are false assurances. And so this is what Paul is going to address. And so first, we're going to address these privileges uh, in two separate spots. So um, first, Paul is going to address the heritage uh, and the knowledge of these people. And so Paul is going to explain in verse... 17. So I'm going to read verses 17 again um, to 24. It says this, But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know His will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who, who are in darkness, instructor to the foolish, teacher of the children, having the law and the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? While you say do you must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who arbor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For it was written, the name, for as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. So one of the things we need to understand is who it is Paul is specifically addressing pretty clear the Jew he says in verse 17 but if you call yourself a Jew this is who Paul is addressing and we don't just want to sit here and say oh yes they do all these things we want to kind of understand a little bit about them so these people would have grown up excuse me as sort of seem special they were people who are apart from the rest of the culture there there is no separation between Jew and Gentile if the Jews don't exist. Make sense? So they are a special group. They are seen as a special group, not just by the outside, but also within their own group. Excuse me. They are seen as the holy ones. They literally have the lineage of Christ attached to them. Right? And so one of the things that's really simple and it's really easy for us to do also is to take sort of pride, excuse me, pride or... Um, put assurances into the groups that we're in. So, for example, 
whether it's your last name in the area, whether, you know, if you're a Miller or a Yoder or Troyer, good chance, you know, there's a sense of like, yeah, we dominate at least eastern part of the county. I know out here, I don't live out here, right? Um, but even take it on a greater scale, you know, you have people that take pride in like the group of like their state that they're from or like the country that we're from. We're the great ones, right? We're the chosen ones, whatever you want to. Take that, but then intensify that because we don't, whether it's a, you know, the beaches or the whoever, the state or the country we're from, we don't actually have a direct physical heritage. Like, it can't be traced back to Jesus. Like, literal covenants between God and these people's forefathers were happening. Of course, there's a sense of, well, we're in, right? Because of who we are, we're in. It's, it's yeah, like, why wouldn't it be? God literally spoke to, I can trace back family line of a covenant between God and Abraham, where he promises his descendants, right? Like, the fact that this line of family even exists is a miracle of God. And so, there's a sense of assurance that, yeah, we were part of the beginning, like, we're in. Paul is saying, no. It's not what it is. There is no assurance based upon your family. In this lineage, there is, there is no holiness, there's no righteousness that comes with the Jewish, uh, excuse me, lineage. The other part that Paul here is going to address, the other privilege, is the knowledge. Um... These people grew up with the ancient writings, so you would have had the Ten Commandments of Moses, you would have had the Book of Moses. All of this, sort of, the, the, oracle, the oracles, the, the, the writings, all of this, these people, this, this church in Rome, the Jew in this church in Rome, grew up with this knowledge, right? They, they were the teachers. They were the ones who were to teach the Gentile, the, the people who weren't in this lineage, they were the ones who were supposed to teach the Gentiles how to do good things, how to be good, right? How to follow the law. However, again, there is this sense of uh, false assurance that comes with having known the law. There is... Uh, so like in today's world, there's many false sort of theological views, and there's a correct theological view, but there's, people will, will become so fascinated by studying different types of theologies or doctrines, and they will make this their camp, um, where it becomes, it becomes the idol. Right, the theology is the idol, or the doctrine, whatever you want to call it. And this is their assurance. Because I know this and because you know I understand how this works, this becomes their assurance that I'm now righteous. I promise you there is no specific theology that in and of itself will save anybody or make them righteous. 
You see, what was happening here, as Paul's talking to them, and often happens with us, is there's a divorce between Christ and His law. There's a divorce between, yes, we are to be doers of the law, but we're not supposed to do it for the sake of doing it. We're not supposed to do it so that people outside of our group of people think, oh, wow, look how good they are. We're to be doers of the law out of love of Christ. And so we cannot separate or divorce Christ from anything. We can't divorce Christ from our theology. We can't divorce Christ from our doctrine. We can't divorce Christ from anything. Because once we do, that in and of itself is what becomes our idol. And this is what's happening to this group of people that Paul is addressing now is, you've allowed this knowledge that you have. Yes, don't steal. Um, Don't steal. uh, Don't commit adultery. Don't commit idolatry. Right? Yet, once you divorce that teaching from Christ, then it just becomes a teaching of, don't do this, but this is all that I'm doing. That's what Paul's addressing here. The, the address here is, listen, it's not just enough to know it. It is something that we do not because it does anything for us other than it allows us to express our love of Christ even greater. We do it because we love Christ. We can't divorce Christ from any of this stuff. Otherwise, it's useless. Ezekiel 36 Uh, You don't have to turn there. I will read it from you. Uh, In addressing, so, as as a Jew listening to this in this Roman church, and Paul has called you out for uh, not being able to practice what you preach. He's called you, uh, what he has now named your heritage, your false assurance. He's now said that that's not it. Probably not feeling particularly super good. But then he ends this, or wraps up this section, quoting uh, the Old Testament, when he says, And that for it is written, uh, the name of God is blasphemed amongst the Gentiles because of you. And so I want to read you where that is. Uh, it's, it's referenced twice. It is referenced both in Ezekiel, which is where we're going to be reading it from. Uh, but it is also referenced, excuse me, um, in Isaiah, I believe it's, Yeah, 52. But we're going to read Ezekiel 36. So Ezekiel 36 uh, says this. We're going to start in verse 16. It says, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, when the house of Israel lived in their own land, they defiled it by their ways and their deeds. Their ways before me were like the uncleanliness of a woman and her menstrual impurity. So I poured out my wrath on them for the blood that they had shed on the land for their idols, with which they have defiled it. I scattered them among the nations, and they were dispersed throughout the countries. In accordance with their ways and their deeds, I judged them. But when they came into the nations, wherever they came, they profaned my holy name, and that the people said of them, These are the people of the Lord, and yet they had to go out of his land. I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations to which they came. The Lord had to preserve the holiness of his own name, which is why they had to be kicked out of their promised land. Again, 
even hundreds of years ago before Paul ever wrote this letter to the Romans, there was this divorce between the love of God and what he has commanded us to do. The, the, excuse me, uh, the people of this time, this congregation that Paul is writing to, have entirely missed the whole purpose of anything. And that is the whole purpose of being doers of the law is to seek glory from God and not from man. Praise from from God and not man. And these people had falsely assured themselves that what they knew and the fact that they were teachers and the fact that they were uh, Jewish, that they for sure would be righteous. And it's just not the case. And so, one of the things that this... uh, Reminds me of. Sorry about that. Uh, in a, seems like another lifetime ago, uh, I used to farm uh, horses with my father. Uh, we used to raise racehorses. Uh, not thoroughbreds, so not the horse, racehorsing that you're thinking with the guys on the jockeys on the, on the horses, but racehorses with a sulky separated by gates whether it was a trot or a pace anyhow one of the things as a horse breeder that it was very important for us to do was to create horses that had great lineages because what this would do is it would give it would give potential buyers this sense of assurance that we've really put together a racehorse that we had that could go out and make money. There's good money to make, uh, so that means there's hopefully good money to spend. So what we would do, uh, since I didn't do anything but work and live on this farm, I became obsessed with families of horses, um, is we would look at uh, what potential male side or stallion sides that we would have in the barn that we would get breed, or we could breed to, and then we would purchase mares that would go well with that family, that way, when it would come time to sell this horse, we could tell the person that was potentially going to buy this horse, this, comes, this is a beautiful individual, obviously, but it also comes from a really great family. Like, this is a racing family on both sides, plus you would then see how those, like, you would go back generations and see how those families had crossed previously so that you would for sure be able to convince them to spend lots of money on this false assurance that this horse was going to be a winner and make them lots of money. Now, those of you who are either thinking about getting into the racehorsing or already in it, um, my suggestion is this. Don't, A. B, the only thing that is assured in standard bred racing is that there are no assurances. Uh, I've heard horrible stories of very expensive horses that don't even make it to a trainer like they die in the barn the night after they're sold like freak accidents it always happens again nothing is assured so uh, I give you that illustration because I want to make it as clear as possible there is no assurance 
in any heritage, anything of your family's heritage, there is no assurance in any knowledge that you have in, when it comes to our righteousness. We can follow the law, quote unquote, on the outside. We can follow, do everything that we need to do. However, I promise you, you cannot follow the law. There's only one person to ever be able to follow the law perfectly, and that person was Jesus Christ. He is the one who was able to follow the law. He was the one who lived sinless and then sacrificed himself for us. And so, in this world in which we live, people will assure you of your virtue based upon whatever it is that they want to assure you of that, and that's what makes you a good person, or that's what guarantees you whatever it is you want. Nothing, nothing but the blood of Christ will ever make any single person righteous. We cannot allow ourselves to divorce the law of God from the love of Jesus Christ. When we do that, we begin this slippery slippery slope of legalism where we believe that anything in and of itself will make us righteous. Absolutely nothing in this world, no matter if it's, uh, I'm just going to try to make sure I don't miss my devotionals in the morning, it doesn't matter. That will not make you righteous. It's good to do your devotionals in the morning. That's awesome. Spend time in the Word and prayer. But missing it doesn't damn you to hell, and doing it doesn't save you. Our hypocrisy will often lead to loopholes. We look for loopholes. Well, it's, I don't know. I don't know. Um, Like, we can not drive cars, but, like, we can have people drive us places. Or I can't use, I can't have a phone unless I own a business, and then at that point I can use a phone. There's, we've looked for loopholes in the rules that are man-made, which is hypocrisy, which is dishonoring to the Lord. Because we've divorced those things. We've given ourselves assurance that no matter what we do, if we live this way, that in and of itself will save us. And it just won't. So, if you're Jewish in this context and you're listening and you're like, well, okay, he called us out on, you know, maybe we are teaching one thing and doing another. Um, but we still have an ace in the hole. We still have one thing that will, uh, will assure our righteousness. And that is... Um, the circumcision. The tradition of circumcision was very highly held. Um, there's a direct connection to Abraham and the covenant uh, between him and God through circumcision. And so this is our final sort of like ace in the hole. This is our righteousness. And I often think about sort of this tradition um, when I 
I used to enjoy watching like um, gang-related TV shows. Um, it's not not a proud of that, but I do enjoy it. It's whatever. Uh, but one of the things that I learned, at least in Hollywood gang world, I don't know if this is true because I've never been in a gang, uh, is this idea of blood in and blood out. So if you want to be a part of the gang, requires some sort of blood. Whether it's yours, whether it's the sacrifice of another person, requires some sense of blood. If you want in the gang, you have to prove it because now, basically, it usually often ended up in like hurting somebody else. But then if you want out, it also then requires blood, which often becomes your own by way of torturous death. Again, this is through TV. I don't know if this is really how gangs work. Never been part of a gang. But in the same sense, it's the same thing with the tradition of circumcision. With the tradition of circumcision. There was an actual physical cost to the Jew in this, through this tradition, which was, listen, I am in because I have made a sacrifice, right? I have physically caused pain, and I have physically done something to be, into this, to be in this group. I'm in. And, and, and again, Paul is saying, absolutely apart from Christ, you're not in. If we look back into Genesis, I do want to just show you what this says. In Genesis 17 is where we see um, this covenant being made. It says this, starting in chapter 17, it says, When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between you, me and you, and you may multiply greatly. And Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but now you shall be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will uh, make, your, make you into nations. And kings shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after throughout the generations for an everlasting covenant. Uh, to be God and your offspring after you. And I will make, and I will give you your offspring after uh, the land of your sojourning and the land of Canaan and your everlasting possession. I will make, I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant and take off uh, and your offspring after throughout and throughout the generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and your offspring after you. Every young male shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh uh, of your foreskins. You shall be a sign of your covenant between me and you. So you have this history. You have this covenant with God. I can go back to my great-great-great-great-grandfather, whatever it is, from here to then, and say, this is the covenant that God made with Abraham, if you're Jewish in this context, and say, he said I was in. Paul here is saying, in fact, no. I want to look at Deuteronomy uh, 30 and verse 6. It says this, uh, verses 
uh, 5 and 6. It says, And the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your father possesses, uh, that you may possess it, and he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise uh, your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God. Um, and your soul, uh, with all your heart and soul, that you may live. And then again, in Deuteronomy 10, it says this, And now Israel, what does the Lord, uh, starting in verse 12, it says, And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But fear the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to love him, to serve your Lord your God with all your heart and your soul, and keep his commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I have, I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, uh, to the Lord your God belongs in heaven and the heavens of heavens, uh, with the earth and all that is in it. Yet the Lord has set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them. You above all peoples, as you are his, as you are this day, circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God who is not partial and takes no, no bride. Bribe. Right, so it's always been about circumcision of the heart. It's never actually this circumcision that Paul is talking about that has divorced, that these people have divorced from the love of Christ, has given them this false assurance uh, that they will be made righteous in the end. Nothing in this world, I know this may be redundant, nothing in this world will ever make you righteous apart from the blood of Christ. We will often divorce our actions or our obedience, our obedience to the law. We'll divorce that from the love of Christ and say, well, if I, at least I was able to do this and this is going to help me get where I need to go. It, it won't. There's nothing apart from Christ. I remember um, I had a, a session once with a, with a client um, and and in in an, in an initial session, counselors often will ask people, maybe not directly, but in a roundabout way, why it is they've sought counseling, why it is they've come in for whatever reason. And I remember this individual uh, when I when we approached that sort of topic, you know, brings you in. And they told me that their hope by the end of counseling was that they would be a little bit closer to being able to receive grace after they died. 
that if he came in at 60% able to receive grace, or 60% chance, that when he, when he died, that he would be able to receive grace. The hope is that counseling would at least increase that to 70 to 75%. This is a very sad story. These stories exist. People believe and have assurance in so many false things. And they believe that they're doing the right things. But when divorced from the love of God is absolutely nothing. We are doers of the law and we are obedient not because it does anything for our salvation. We do it because we love Christ because he gave his life for us. Because in the end when we are being judged and we are judged by the law we have faith that his righteousness is going to save us that we've put our faith in him and that we will be counted as righteous you see it is 100% a condition of the heart and this is the point that Paul is making in this passage. Um, If we look the last two verses, it says this. uh, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor circumcision outward or physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Over generations of time, the Jewish people believed that they were righteous because they were of the generations, that they had the lineage of it, that they had the law, and that they were in with the uh, ceremonies. We do the same thing. We do the same thing and we divorce the love of God from what it is we do out of love. It is so important, brothers and sisters, that we realize that when we do things, it's not because we think it's going to earn us one bit of favor, but we do it because we love Christ. And when we don't do it and when we fail, we're not hurt and we're not sad because, well, I've it stinks because people, I'm supposed to be a good Christian and people are going to see that. It's because we've broken communion with Christ. That's what hurts us. It's not that we failed because other people are going to see it because I'm supposed to be this holy person. It hurts us because we've broken communion with Christ. That's the painful part. That's what leads us to repentance. That's what's, what leads us to uh, Obedience. That's what makes us doers of the law is because our love of Christ is so great. It's so much, it fills us. It fills our every move. It fills our, our motivations. That's what it is. We don't do it because it does anything for us other than it draws us closer to Him. Our love of Him is 
grows. It, it deepens. I don't know how else to... It gets bigger when we do what He wants out of love for Him. Not out of love of what do people think of me, but it's strictly out of love of Him. We cannot in any way divorce what we do from the, for God from God. I want to leave you with this. Um, there are four things here that Paul is going to mention at the end in these last couple verses that are this. Um, as it relates to circumcision and uh, how do we sort of notice in our own lives? We want to check our own lives. How do we notice if sort of if we're experiencing that circumcised heart? In, in uh, verse 28, he says, For, uh, No one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor circumcision uh, is outward or physical, but, a, but the Jew is one inward. It is, are we seeking, or is our circumcision merely just an outward um, practice, or is it an inward thing? Is it something that is an inward condition of our heart being circumcised? The second um, part is that our heart has been circumcised, right? There is this cut off from sin for God, right? This is what, this is a symbol of, is that we are cut off from sin for God. Is that where our heart is at today? Uh, the third is that it has been cut off, the circumcision has been cut by the Spirit. Again, um, it is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. So is it something that we've chosen to do, or is it something that we were required to do? The Jewish people had no choice because the law said that they had to do it. That's what he means by the letter. Right? Is it something that we've chosen to do, to voluntarily cut ourselves off from sin to be saved for Christ? Finally, uh, his praise is not of man, but of God. There is a seeking after uh, praise from God, again, for no other reason than we want to love him more and we want, him, uh, we want to experience that with him. And so, uh, to close up today, uh, I was wondering, as I was preparing this sermon this week, uh, last week's whatever, uh, but it finally came time to end the sermon. I wondered how do you, how do you close this out? It was the great question, and I had no closing. Uh, and then I was reminded by some individuals that at the end, you might as well just send them home with the gospel. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read just a little bit out of 1 Corinthians. Chapter 15, it says this. Uh, now I remind you, brothers, uh, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed it in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, 
what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with Scripture, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with Scripture, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to, uh, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500, peop- 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and also to the apostles. And last of all, as to one uh, untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I was persecuted of the church of God. But by grace, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And this grace towards me is not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though I was not, uh, though it was not I, but the grace of God is in me. Whether then uh, it was I or they, so we preach, so you believed. Brothers and sisters, the gospel and Paul has wrapped up this chapter and is going to do it one more time next week. With uh, I think Brother Mark is out here. We are all in need of a savior. We all are unrighteous. Christ is our Savior, and the good news is that He will make us righteous when we put our faith in Him. Let's pray. You guys can come up and we'll. Father, we come to you this morning. Uh, we are grateful for your word. Father, we are grateful for uh, everything. Father, you sent. Christ to us um, to save us. Father, I pray that we would continuously every day uh, put our assurance in Jesus Christ and Him alone um, and our faith in Him that uh, we will be righteous when we stand before You, uh, not by any of our doing, but solely um, through the blood of Jesus. And so, Father, we understand that it is uh, our redemption, our salvation is by grace alone, through faith in Christ alone. And so we just pray, um, Father, that you would send us out of here uh, walking in that. In your name we pray. Amen.